Welcome to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast, a complimentary resource for those on the road to recovery. I'm Mickey Trescott, a nutritional therapy practitioner living well with autoimmune disease in Oregon. I've got both Hashimoto's and celiac disease. And I'm Angie Alt, a certified health coach and nutritional therapy consultant also living well with autoimmune disease in Maryland. I have endometriosis, lichen sclerosis, and celiac disease. After recovering our health by combining the best of conventional medicine with effective and natural dietary and lifestyle interventions, Mickey and I started blogging at autoimmune-paleo.com, where our collective mission is seeking wellness and building community. This podcast is sponsored by the Autoimmune Wellness Handbook, our co-authored guide to living well with chronic illness. We saw the need for a comprehensive resource that goes beyond nutrition to connect savvy patients just like you to the resources they need to achieve vibrant health. Through the use of self-assessments, checklists, handy guides, and templates, you get to experience the joy of discovery, finding out which areas to prioritize on your healing journey. Pick up a copy wherever books are sold. A quick disclaimer, the content in this podcast is intended as general information only and is not to be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On to the podcast. Hey everybody, Mickey here, and welcome back to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast Season 2. Today is our last round of question and answer for this season. Dun dun dun. How are you doing this week, Angie? Uh, I'm doing good. It's been a little crazy. We've both been busy with conferences and other work travel and stuff, but um, it's good. Yeah. What about you? How are you? How are you doing? Yeah, just trying to get get control over you know the schedule and the cooking and the sleeping and the stress managing is just and the texting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's appropriate. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a lot. Yesterday, I, I, well, excuse me, two days ago, I cooked all the things. I was like, oh my God, I have to get on top of the cooking. And I cooked so much food and now I have too much food. <laughs> well, that's not, that's not a, a big problem because you can always freeze it. Unless, yeah, that's true. You know, that's that's true. what I do. But yeah, the first thing that I do when things start to get a little crazy is I start batch cooking. It's like obsessive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hear you. So before we get on to our regularly scheduled listener questions, uh, we're going to ask each other a question like we've been doing this whole series. I know Angie's like ready to be done with this format because she doesn't like (laughs) the random questions. Um, But Angie, my question for you this week is what aspect of personal healing are you working your hardest on right now? Oh, boy. Mickey, you and the can of worms all the time. Um, I would have to say, honestly, that I am probably in a period where I'm trying to be okay with things being the way they are. I'm trying to kind of let go of focusing a lot on healing and just let things be kind of, kind of crazy, kind of hairy, kind of up and down and just allow myself to kind of go with the flow. And sometimes the flow isn't the direction you would hope for, but I'm, I'm just trying to be a little zen about it at the moment. I think that's where I'm re- really working, if I'm honest. What about you, Mick? What do you got going on? Yeah, you know, uh, the meditation thing 
you know, kind of, it's a little in the same vein, just trying to kind of accept the situation that I'm in, the stressors and the physical stuff. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot of things that I don't have control over right now. So meditation has been very helpful. And I made a, uh, a goal to meditate every day. And I was on a 68 day streak using the Calm app, which, you know, you shared that with me and I got super into it. Of course, I'm an upholder. Calm is awesome. So Calm is my spirit animal. It's the best. Um, and I got really <laughs> hooked in because I like having a perfect record. And so when it reminded me every day, it's time to meditate, I would do a little meditation every day. And this week it just fell off the rails and I forgot one day. And then I kid you not, I woke up at three in the morning. And the first thing I thought was, Oh my gosh, I forgot to meditate yesterday. And I was so sad. I almost cried. Like I was like, (laughs) I was on a streak and you know what I wanted to do was do it for a whole year, but, um, yeah, get back on the wagon and yeah, uh, you're doing great. You know what? So you guys, this is like, um, a reason why, you know, calm is really, really awesome because Mickey has the upholder tendency. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about, check out Gretchen Rubin and the four tendencies. So Mickey has the upholder tendency and she feels like she is going to do that internally and externally. She wants the reward of doing that. I am not the upholder personality, but I still have had a similar experience where I woke up in the middle of the night and was like, Oh no, I messed up my calm streak that's how great calm is it like so, gets into your subconscious and it's just like meditate meditate it works for all tendencies <laughs> it's great so that was fun um so let's get on to tackling some of our specific questions i did another call out on instagram we always get so many questions way more than we could answer in a series or in a podcast But today we actually had some people asking some pretty similar questions and actually upvoting other people's questions. So um, we've got some some topics that I think will apply to a lot of you guys today. Um, The first question, uh, actually the first two questions are about friends, family, and the workplace. And HS, yeah, I don't know how to say that. Hutzow says, Hutzow. <laughs> Hutzow says, how to approach friends and family who have autoimmune disorders and think high power prescription drugs is the only reasonable treatment or should you even go there? Yeah, wow. This is, uh, I think probably for those of us who know that, um, that there's other approaches or that combinations of approaches can really be the most effective and maintain the highest quality of life. It can be so... Um, disheartening and frustrating and even maybe a little sad or scary to see friends and family um, choose this other other route and you feel like you have this information that could benefit them so much and you're you're so worried about the impact of the choice they've made it can be hard to know what to do but here's the honest to goodness truth you're better off to not go there um, you're, you're better off to just, uh, be a powerful example. Um, people are changed not by your words, but by your actions. Um, so, you know, just be a really strong example in your own life of healing and, and how you're able to either choose, uh, the completely natural route, which is awesome if you can do that or combine, which a lot of us have to do. Um, you know, if you can just sort of give that example to your friends and family, that's probably the best way to go in time when they are ready for that message, they'll come to you. Um, I think in my life, it started out like, this is kind of crazy. Angie's doing this like fringe, whatever thing. And now 
uh, honestly, I almost have to beg my friends and family not to ask me questions about it and ask for my help on it because they see powerfully that I followed through and I'm a lot healthier than I was before. So that, that would probably be my best advice. What would you say, Mickey? Yeah, I would just add that the biggest reason for that is because it's it's almost, uh, you know, you can't force them to change. Like you, what we're asking people to do and, you know, changing their diet and changing their lifestyle and advocating for themselves is a lot of work. And uh, it's, you know, it's pretty te- intense. And mm-hmm. when you if you are doing this yourself and then you tell someone else, oh, you need to do this too, and maybe they don't, I think there's a lot of judgment that could come with that and a lot of like people in your family could avoid you or not want to talk to you about it. And that's not what you want in that situation. You don't want to see, ha, I know all of this and you know, you don't and you don't have the time to do it and it's too overwhelming. You may be leading by example um, sets you up as um, the person to come to when they're ready, you know, and then it kind of takes out all of that judgment that, um, people could perceive there. So I think that's why it's really important not to go there and, you know, let people come to you when you're ready. Like you said, Angie, I've had so many people in my life, like really surprising, surprising people that I never would have thought, Mm -hmm. um, would be asking me for help reach out. And I think it's because I haven't been pushy about, telling everyone what they should do, you know? Right, right, exactly. Considering the level of commitment that healing through diet and lifestyle takes, it's best that each person arrives there ready themselves. Well, it's it's almost too like, you know, an addiction analogy. Um, you know, I have a lot of addiction history in my family and there have been times where it would have been really easy to just force someone to go to rehab or force them to confront their problem. But those are never the times when that person is able to make a sustainable change that actually changes their life. So, you know, it's painful for the people that know better around them. And that's the only thing I can maybe liken it to that feeling of kind of, you know, being someone that could help, but not really being able to because the person isn't ready yet. And, you know, that's not in your control. Yep. Yep, exactly. Okay, let's see. Moving on to another kind of friends, family, workplace question. Uh, Pick Perfect Love says, how to deal with working when you have an autoimmune disease? I'm a teacher and my peers and principal tend to make comments about my diet, which is AIP, and how I'm always, in quotation marks, six or not feeling well. I have to give 110% as a teacher, but there are some days where I am just not feeling well. Mickey, what would you say to her? You know, this is definitely a situation where I would say these people People are definitely not being supportive of your journey. And I think you might need to have a conversation about how uh, what you're doing is something that's really difficult. You're doing it for yourself. And these comments will not be tolerated in a work situation. Um, Something, you know, I would say that this kind of discussion might come up in families because families are so much more complicated and you're related by blood, but I really don't think that your coworkers and your boss have any right to comment on the food that you're eating and if you're always sick or not feeling well. Now, as it relates to your work, um, you know, they have some say there and that's where it becomes tricky. Being an autoimmune patient and having a full-time career is no easy task and you know, I was confronted with this when I got really sick and had to go back to work. I wasn't able to do my previous career. I got fired because I kept going into work sick and tired and I wasn't able to keep up and and that's how I got fired. And, 
you know, that's a dramatic situation and it was very unpleasant and unhappy in the situation, but it actually made me realize that I needed to seek out a situation that was compatible with my illness. So, you know, not saying that you can't be a teacher, obviously, um, you know, it sounds like you love your job and you really want to make it work. And I think trying to bridge that gap between your coworkers and your boss's perception about your illness without maybe oversharing and trying to make them feel bad for you, but also being very strong and saying, this is what I'm doing for my body and it's working. And, you know, I, I, shouldn't be getting any judgment from you because that's not really their place. Wouldn't you say Angie? Yeah. I mean, one thing that I might, um, kind of bring into your kind of own awareness is that sometimes folks, uh, that especially folks who want to comment on your food or, you know, what they see you bringing into work to eat each day. Um, sometimes they're doing that out of a place of feeling, um, maybe a little insecure about their own food choices. You know, they, they might feel like, maybe your plate is a little bit of a judgment on their plate, which it's obviously not, you know, that you're doing it just because you want to heal. But sometimes, oddly enough, uh, we in this situation have to do the job of reaffirming the other people who are making the comments. I know this sounds backwards, but it might help maybe if you just say, Hey, you know what, whatever you're eating, cool, this is what I'm eating today, because it makes me feel better. No big deal. Um, Sometimes saying that one little sentence changes the whole dynamic and and people feel a little more calm and, and less worried. And Angie, you have a great thing that you say about this. Don't be weird. And, you know, if you're kind of treating yourself as special and you have the special food and you make a big deal about it, and when people ask you about it, you're like, oh my God, it's really complicated. And it's because I'm really sick and you're kind of weird about it. People are going to pick that up and they're going to be like, oh, that's weird. But if you're just like, oh, this is what I eat because this is what makes me feel good. And that's all that's you know no story to it um people might be like oh okay she knows what she's doing and i'll move on to something else you know right if you act with a lot of confidence this is where you know my my little phrase don't be weird comes from if you act out of a lot of confidence and um just like this is my day-to-day no commentary necessary the people around you will will come to respect it yep Do you have any advice, maybe, Angie, about how to work? Um, I know a lot of people have had this question, how to find like an autoimmune friendly career. Do you think that it's specifically a career or do you think that it's the people you work with? Yeah, you know, I think it's, it could probably be either or. I think that there's careers out there that are probably more autoimmune friendly than others. Um, And if you have an aptitude for those areas, it might be a good idea to go for them if, you know, if there's a fit there to be had. I mean, for instance, uh, you and I kind of forged these careers that allow us to take downtime if we need to. Um, That said, we're always working like crazy people (laughs) because we're too passionate for our own good probably. But we have, you know, we have the understanding of each other and there's, there's room there, you know, if they can find similar arrangements, great. Um, on the other hand, I think that having the right group of people around you can make all the difference. You know, if you have supportive coworkers and supportive boss and, and things like that, that can help too. So it, it might be the career, it might be 
the environment, you know. And it also might be, you know, the information that you've given them. Um, so after I got fired from my coffee shop job that I was too tired to do, I applied to uh, be a personal chef for a family and the wife was a doctor. And I told her in my interview, I have celiac disease. I have Hashimoto's disease. I've been through this health crisis. I am just on the up and up. I feel, you know, a little bit weird about putting it all out there, but I figured since you're a doctor, you know, maybe you can, uh, you know, be gentle on me, kind of. Not that I wouldn't be able to do the duties that she needed me to do, but at least she would understand from a physical perspective, maybe what was going on in my body. And that ended up being a really good working relationship. And, you know, it wasn't one that I could just take a day off when I wasn't feeling well, but she saw me as someone who was trying very hard to meet my commitments instead, even on the days where she could tell I was tired, instead of saying this person is lazy and doesn't work hard enough. Because, you know, if, if your employer doesn't know any better, they might jump to that conclusion. So sometimes, you know, a conversation can really help there. Right, right. Okay, let's see. Uh, Moving on, we have a bunch of questions about additional food sensitivities. This is something that comes up pretty often in our realm, right, Mickey? Oh, yeah. Um, So let's see. The first question comes from Lucy in the London Sky. She says, "I I have been on the AIP diet for around 18 months, and it has helped heal my gut, reduced inflammation, and balanced out my hormones. The problem is that I I'm intolerant to most AIP compliant foods due to histamine response or FODMAP irritation or other reactions. I have to avoid fish, ferments, all meat, including organ meats, except for chicken and turkey, leafy greens, coconut, and most raw veg. My diet is limited to say the least, and I am concerned about getting enough uh, enough nutrients. What would you suggest? So for Lucy, I would suggest two things. Um, One is if you have an additional sensitivity that is due to a pathogenic overgrowth in your gut like SIBO, you need to treat that stat, especially it sounds like Lucy, you've got some really extreme issues with histamine. Um, This is a really clear indicator that either you have SIBO, which, you know, is a given um, since you're on the low FODMAP approach, which um, helps manage symptoms of SIBO, it won't treat SIBO. Um, But I would also look into methylation uh, dysfunction. I would do that first. I would not try to do AIP with all of these layers and really restrict till you're like eating three foods. I would actually, if I were working with you as a client, took history and everything, I would actually probably suggest a expanded approach to include some foods that might be um, some reintroductions, like some white rice, um, maybe some nuts and seeds, depending on how you tolerate them, maybe even eggs, just to see if you can get enough protein. Because since you're not tolerating the meat, you know, you need a protein source and it's not safe for you to go long-term on just such a few vegetables that you're eating. Um, So the biggest thing for you is just going to be treating that SIBO. And this is something we see over and over with people who do the autoimmune protocol. They notice they have a reaction of FODMAPs and what do they do? They go on a low FODMAP AIP diet and then they start layering histamines because this actually makes them feel better. Um, but they're not going to a doctor, getting a breath test, getting tested and getting treated. This is how you get rid of SIBO. Um, we were actually just at a conference with Dr. Allison Seebecker, who is one of the best experts in the world on SIBO. And she said in her presentation that she has seen 10,000 cases in the last seven years and never has she seen a client get better with diet alone. 
You guys, so, we can't say it enough. I think we've probably already said it on every single one of these uh, Q&A podcasts, but you cannot treat SIBO with diet alone. It won't happen. Allison's uh, case history definitely proves that. Yeah. And and so for Lucy, you know, if you're having SIBO that keeps recurring, maybe she is getting it treated and it's coming back. You know, she needs to be looking into some of those underlying causes. Um, Dr. Seebecker has some great information about that, but she really needs to be working with someone to troubleshoot that. And additionally, working with a nutritional therapy practitioner, health coach, or someone who is qualified to make some nutrition recommendations given your state. Um, The autoimmune protocol as written is a very nutrient-dense diet and all the bases are covered. But when you start taking out a lot of proteins and a lot of, you know, these different foods that are, you know, the basis of the diet, I think there is a really high chance that you're not getting some nutrients somewhere. So it would be important to get someone on your team as you navigate maybe a SIBO treatment and, and troubleshoot all of this stuff so that you can start to tolerate them. So once you go through SIBO treatment, or maybe you have methylation dysfunction, you could have both of them that are um, manifesting in this extreme histamine intolerance, get that taken care of. Then you can eat more foods and kind of work on the bigger AIP autoimmune reducing the inflammation framework, if that makes sense. Yep. Yep, totally agree. Hit that one out of the park. So Fallon Denae says, any information on healing food sensitivities within AIP is appreciated. I'm eating about eight foods and I'm wondering if I should try a rotation diet instead. How do you heal the gut when you can't do probiotics, bone broth, organ meats, fish, ferments, or leafy greens? Can you still eat food you're sensitive to and heal? Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes back to just the same exact answer as we just gave to Lucy in the London Sky. You know, it sounds like there must be some underlying uh, imbalance in the GI system somewhere, whether that's SIBO or some other kind of dysbiosis, uh, parasite infection, something is happening there that's really decreasing your uh, ability to eat foods and causing all these additional sensitivities. So digging in and finding out what that underlying root cause is and treating it will help you experience expand your diet. Um, A lot of folks believe in the rotational diet and feel that that helps them um, in the food sensitivity situation. Um, I'm not quite sure that I think that that's the best approach. I think the best approach is actually to heal what's causing the problem um, rather than just rotate within a small, um, you know, small amount of foods that are there. And I actually haven't seen clients who are on pretty limited diets because of the above, you know, autoimmune protocol plus maybe some SIBO going on. You know, they do get worried that they're eating this diet for maybe one to two months while they're treating. And I haven't had a client come up sensitive to something they're eating like beef or chicken. You know, it seems to be a rumor that, you know, maybe we can get Sarah Ballantyne or someone to give us some science why that is. But, um, you know, someone is starting a rumor or, you know, has some information that says that if you keep eating a food over and over and over, you're going to develop an allergy or sensitivity to it. I just haven't seen that practically, you know? Yeah. Agree. Agree. I I really haven't seen that, uh, bore out with any of my clients either. Um, and I don't really hear that being talked about by some of the really big name experts. Um, So I I would really be working on that underlying thing. You know, if you're having some sensitivity to probiotics and bone broth. um, That sounds like histamine. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like some histamine stuff going on there. And sometimes bone broth can be a problem if you have SIBO. Um, You know, there is FODMAPs in the knuckle bones. So sometimes um, broth made with those those kinds of bones might be causing a problem. SIBO and histamine are related too. Mm -hmm. So if you have one, it can lead into the other problem. So 
yeah, digging in with some practitioners on those underliers. Another thing um, I would say is that it is possible to have sensitivities to foods that are on the autoimmune protocol. Um, you know, it is not, you know, a, a mind reading program where it just kind of like everyone does it and it works for them. Um, I would say the biggest one is actually coconut. And the reason why a lot of people go through their life, they don't know they're sensitive to coconut is because they don't eat a lot of it. And then they go on the autoimmune protocol and they start cooking with coconut oil and using coconut milk instead of dairy and using coconut flakes to make dessert or whatever. And they're eating all this coconut and then they're having an allergic reaction and it comes up. Obviously, you know, if you have an allergy like that, you shouldn't be eating the coconut. That's not what we're saying. Um, but I would say that's probably the most common food that is included on the autoimmune protocol that can be problematic for people. Um, another issue is food sensitivity testing. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm not going to give you the whole spiel, but basically when you have a leaky gut, things that are not actual allergies or sensitivities will come up because your gut is leaky. That's the whole definition of a leaky gut. Things are getting into your immune system, triggering it, um, that aren't supposed to be there. And so when you have a food sensitivity test come back and it has, you know, beef and chicken and coconut and pineapple, you know, and all these things on it, it just means that your gut is not in a good condition. And that's why we actually don't like relying on those food sensitivity tests and instead doing a gut healing protocol for 30, 60, 90 days, See where we get, take all the major triggers out, then we can kind of further troubleshoot. So that's what I have to say about that. Yeah. Okay, let's see. We're moving on here. Um, white rice. Uh, we have some questions from Asa Marcellinas. Am I saying that right? Uh, she says, is white rice okay if a reintro goes well or better to avoid things like white rice, seed spices, etc., just to be safe? Okay. Mickey, can I take this one? You got it. <laughs> Definitely don't avoid things if it has gone well for you. If you have tried to reintroduce these foods and it has gone really well for you, you've waited the, you know, 72 hours in between reintroductions and no no reactions have popped up. This is wonderful. You Yay. have had a successful, yeah, you've had a successful reintroduction. You should start enjoying that food in your diet again. The point of the autoimmune protocol is not to stay in restriction forever, just to be safe. Quotation mark. Um, we're not we're not encouraging that that wasn't the point of the protocol the point is to remove triggers get your whole system calmed down and then try to bring them back in eventually personalizing the diet you know whatever you have come up with with the white rice and the seed spices it's what works for your body and you should enjoy it yeah That's i don't it. like the, <laughs> the the word safe um, I think is a word that doesn't really, it, it's hard to say that these foods are unsafe except for gluten, I would say. Um, you know, safety is kind of one of those things that conjures up a little bit too much for, you know, those foods we're eliminating. Um, and white rice, you know, isn't even paleo or some people say it's kind of paleo, but that's kind of where we differ from the dogmatic paleo movement. It's not about just not eating grains because, you know, we're not eating grains. If white rice works for you, of course it is a, you know, starchy carb and some people with blood sugar issues or, you know, nutrient deficiencies or whatever would do to eat something else, you know, it would be better for them, but, um, you don't need to not eat it if it works for you out of safety. You know, it's not a, generally, I would say as long as it's not replacing all of the other things you should be eating, like bone broth and organ meats and meat and vegetables and everything. Um, yeah, it's, it's safe, you know? Yeah. 
This is awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's me, Sue, says, I am so thankful for all you do, Mickey and Angie. You're both real gifts to this world. Thank you, uh, Sue. Thank um, you. I'd love to hear about EBV, and that stands for Epstein-Barr virus, as a root cause slash trigger for Hashimoto's and possible treatment protocols for EBV. After struggling with the symptoms of Hashimoto since age 12, I'm now 34, and researching like a crazy person, I think I found my root cause. Yay! I'm so looking forward to going after the EBV, crazy elevated markers on blood work for latent and active, so my thyroid antibodies and fatigue will finally subside. I'm not sure where to start. All right. So uh, I'm happy to take this one, Angie. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. So, you know, there is a little bit of a misconception about EBV and Hashimoto's. There are some loud voices in the community that are kind of trying to sell Epstein-Barr as this root cause of Hashimoto's. And once you take care of it, um, you know, everything magically goes better and, you know, I'm sorry to tell you, Sue, that's a little bit what it sounds like you think is going to happen here. If you take care of this EBV, your antibodies go down, your fatigue will be gone, um, and your Hashis will not bother you anymore. Um, While that could certainly happen, in my experience, um, there isn't really one root cause that unlocks anyone's illness. So it's usually a variety of things. And Epstein-Barr can be a part of the picture for you. Obviously, if you have elevated markers on your blood work, um, that's something that you need to address. But I would also say that working on a proper dose of medication, if that's something you need, um, dialing in your diet, doing these lifestyle changes, cleaning up your gut, if you have any gut infections. Um, what EBV really says says to me when I see a client that comes with these markers is actually that they have some unresolved issues with stress that they're not dealing with. So Epstein-Barr is actually something that we all have. We're all exposed to it. I think maybe not all of us. I think the rate is like 95 or 98% by the time you're 30. So it's something that most of us have latent in our systems. Um, if you were a teenager and you got mono, you know, you know what the acute version of EBV feels like. Um, but what happens is once the body deals with it, it's just kind of hanging out there. And if we go through a situation where maybe there's a lot of stress, the immune system is under a lot of pressure. So think not only an autoimmune disease, hello Hashimoto's, but also an autoimmune disease that affects the thyroid, which affects energy and metabolism, which then affects the adrenal glands, which surprise, um, affect your stress levels. So it's all kind of this vicious cycle where It tanks your immune system. You're stressed out internally. Like we're not talking about your job or your spouse or whatever. We're talking about your body actually has a lot of stress because it's dealing with an autoimmune disease and your immune system is not functioning properly. That is a perfect situation for a chronic virus that you got when you were a kid to kind of rear its ugly head. So with Epstein-Barr, I don't necessarily think, what do I need to do to treat the Epstein-Barr? I think, why did this client get Epstein-Barr? What kind of stressors are in their life? life, dietary, lifestyle, whatever, and how can we help their thyroid to kind of prop the whole system up and get them, you know, from a holistic perspective to feel better. Um, Angie actually has a little story about Epstein-Barr, right? 
Yeah. So um, a couple summers ago, while Mickey and I were working on writing our book and we were super busy with that, um, and super busy with lots of other projects. And, you know, I'm a mom, too, and a wife and I've got all those kind of commitments. And I have three autoimmune diseases. So I have that uh, already kind of underlying kind of white noise of, of stress going on. Right. So all of that together and boom. I came down with this fever that wouldn't resolve. I started feeling super, super fatigued. I was like, Mickey, I don't know what's going on. I need to go to the doctor. I got this super crazy sore throat. I went to the doctor and guess what? I had mono. So I had the acute version of EBV. But, you know, my marker showed that that virus had been hanging around for a while. What happened is that my immune system took a little bit of a crash because the stress wasn't very well managed. And you tried uh, nightshades too. Yeah. And I tried some nightshades, a nightshade reintroduction during that time. I tried some bell peppers and uh, they, they certainly sent the immune system into the, the ever quickening downward spiral. So, you know, combined all those things that kind of latent hanging out EBV became a little more acute. And, you know, I had to deal with that for about a month. And then once I you know, took care of myself better, managed some stress better, got past a failed reintroduction attempt, um, everything even dried out again. And you know what? The EBV markers are still there, but I am not, you know, experiencing the acute issue anymore. Just like Mickey said, if you get a client coming to you with this, you're wondering more like, what can we do to support the immune system? Yeah, I would think, you know, basically everything we say for, you know, from the beginning of this podcast, just dialing in the diet, make sure you're not eating any things that's, uh, you know, irritating your digestion, um, making sure you're eating a lot of nutrients. The immune system is dependent on nutrients. So you need to have a good level of vitamin D. You need to have a good level of zinc, vitamin A, you know, K2, all of these fat soluble vitamins, eating a great diet, not having crazy blood sugar swings, um, make sure you're managing your stress, sleeping. Um, and you know, a word of caution, there are some antiviral supplements. Um, they're not the first thing that I would go to because, you know, like Angie resolved her EBV without really resorting to any supplementation, but you know, monolaurin, um, there's a supplement called lorcetin that can be really effective. Um, you want to be careful of immune stimulating herbs. This is something that a lot of practitioners, if you go to a naturopath, they might put you on like an antiviral, um, blend, which a lot of them have ashwagandha, astrologus, echinacea, which you definitely want to avoid because they're either nightshades or they're very stimulating to the immune system, which can actually cause your autoimmune disease to flare. So especially someone with Hashimoto's, I'd be very careful of that department, but, um, I would just really try to improve your nutrient status and manage that stress. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I didn't, I knew about, uh, you know, some of these supplements that I could take that are antiviral, but in the end, I didn't even have to resort to them. I just like dialed down the stress, got some more rest, you know, uh, worked on, I kind of went back to elimination phase for a little while to help my body recover from a failed reintroduction. And by the way, a side note right here for everybody who's listening, don't make, don't everybody now say, Oh my God, we can't reintroduce, uh, you know, any of the nightshades because Angie said she got mono from it. 
that's just what happened for me particularly in that situation. And there was a lot of other stuff going on to contribute to that. I don't want people to be afraid of reintroductions. Like we just said uh, on the white rice and seed spices question, try those reintros. That's the point. Well, and, and, you know, bell peppers are stage four, which is why you've been AIP for like almost five years now and you're just starting to reintroduce those. So, you know, it's all, it's all a part of the process. Right. So um, our next question is about protein cravings from Leska Protopets. Is it normal to experience intense cravings for protein? Any meat or fish doesn't seem to satisfy the craving, and I wonder if it's a hormonal imbalance or side effect on the autoimmune protocol. Hmm. I mean... When I think about this, hormonal imbalance isn't necessarily the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, I wonder, Leska, if you come from, maybe you came into the AIP from a vegan or vegetarian background or maybe a a really low protein background. Um, I think your body might be just telling you, hey, we like protein. Thank you for giving it to us. How about some more? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely some wisdom to, you know, listening to your body in that. I mean, obviously, if your body's telling you to eat cupcakes, we kind of know what's going on there. But, um, <laughs> you know, a craving for protein is usually a nutrient deficiency. So right. when I was vegan, I actually craved nuts really, really bad because I think um, that's how I was getting a lot of those minerals, the zinc and selenium and vitamin E and stuff that I wasn't getting from eating meat. And then when I started eating meat, I lost my craving for nuts and started eating eating or started craving meat even more intensely for about a year. And I ate a little bit more meat than I advise most people to eat on the autoimmune protocol for that first year, maybe year and a half, just because I was craving it. And it was obviously working for me. I think I had to kind of make up for lost time. So definitely if she has that background, that could be something that's going on there. Yeah, I mean, for a compare and contrast here, you know, I didn't come into AIP from a vegan or vegetarian background like Mickey. And I I I loved my meals and I was happy eating AIP, but I did not experience that protein craving probably because I wasn't quite as depleted in that area. Some other things to explore, um, you know, maybe there's um, some anemia going on here, a B12 deficiency. You know, I would think about the kinds of nutrients that you can get from meat and maybe dig a little deeper with your doctor's help to see if there's something there that, um, you know, needs to be looked into. Yeah, I think that's great. All right. So our time's up for answering questions today. Thank you guys so much for submitting. Uh, We really hope that you guys learned a lot over the course of this episode. Um, We hope you guys have a great day wherever in the world you're at, and we will see you next week. We have our very last personal interview for season two. Um, That's going to be with Angie. So this is my last uh, episode with you guys for season two. It's been a pleasure to hang out with you guys and uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. joining us on this episode of the autoimmune wellness podcast we're honored to have you as a listener and we hope that you've gained some useful information you can learn more about the topic we explored today it's covered in detail in our book the autoimmune wellness handbook along with handy self-assessments checklists and other useful resources to put your plan into action pick up a copy today if you enjoyed the podcast please leave us a review in itunes as this helps others find us You can also connect with us through our blog, autoimmune-paleo.com, and with the community by using the hashtag autoimmunewellness.